About a hundred years ago, there was a Canadian politician named Paul Camtois, and he was the lieutenant governor of Quebec uh, in the early 20th century. So the lieutenant governor <coughs> in Canada uh, is sort of the queen's representative in Quebec, right? So she's got sort of like a viceroy in all of Ottawa, and then for Quebec, it's this guy. So he's kind of a big deal. He's pretty kind, personable, obviously very well connected, uh, intelligent. But most of all, Paul was a very devout Catholic, French-Canadian, and he requested to the Cardinal of Quebec that he be allowed to keep the Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle in his official residence, this big, old, beautiful, wooden house. And especially in that time, that was not a normal thing that one asked for. Um, that would be a, an extremely rare permission to allow lay people to have the Blessed Sacrament just in their house. But it was granted, actually. The Cardinal said, sure. But you have to be extremely careful. You've got to make sure it's very well cared for, refreshed regularly, so the, the hosts don't go bad and get all moldy and all that. Uh, so you have to take care of it. And he said, yes, I will. On a very cold morning on February 21st, 1966, it was 20 degrees below zero. Okay. I don't know why people live in such places that have that kind of temperature, but they do. <laughs> anyway, so Paul awoke to his house on fire. So this big, beautiful home was on fire. Uh, a later news report, uh, a fireman described it as a matchbox, just completely went up in flames. And Paul woke up, he was 70 years old, he carried his wife, his children out, all the staff in the house, all the guests, he got them all out of the house into this very cold weather. And then Paul ran back into the house, because someone he loved more than life itself was still in his residence that the Lord Jesus Christ was present in the Blessed Sacrament, and he had to go get him. So Paul ran to the tabernacle, secured the picks with the host in it, and left the chapel. He came down the stairs and was consumed by the flames. That Paul died right there in his home. He died in an attempt to save the Blessed Sacrament from this fire in his home. Some would call his action foolishness and his death in vain. Completely useless. Why did you do that? Everyone is fine. But if you believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, we would call the action of Paul Comtois an extraordinary act of heroism, which testify to his love for the sacrament of the Eucharist above all things. Today, the church celebrates the solemnity of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That as Catholics, this sacrament of the Eucharist at Holy Mass, this is the sacrament of love in the Feast of Corpus Christi, as it's commonly called, the body of Christ in Latin. So to answer the question of what's most important to you, more than where you spend your time or where you put your money, which are pretty big ones, I would ask, what do you love? What are the loves of your life? And that will tell me, obviously, what's most important to you. So let's ask that question to the church. To the church, what is the most important thing to her? What is uh, the greatest love of her life? And so for the spotless bride of Christ, I think the answer to that question would most assuredly be the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the Eucharist. That is the greatest love of her life. And this can be seen in so many different ways in the life of the church. It can be seen in her history. Numerous accounts we have of uh, along the centuries of the church celebrating the Mass from the very beginning. Accounts of how it's celebrated, descriptions very, from the very beginning. And placing so much importance on it as the heart of Christian life. 
So too we see in the dogmas and the doctrines of the church, the sort of uh, exposition of what we believe by priests and theologians and bishops, that it's constantly been attested that this is what we believe, that at Holy Mass, a priest turns ordinary bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It was especially in the medieval ages, there was a lot of theology and study being devoted to the Eucharist. Because it was at that time, uh, in the early 1100s, when a false belief with the Eucharist was just a symbol became very, very popular. And so the church responded to that and devoted much time, much resources to expounding the doctrine of what we believe, how it is that God can be present under the forms of bread and wine. How is that possible uh, philosophically, theologically? That this belief was constantly repeated in councils and documents and papal letters about the true presence of Christ. That you'll never find in any church document that it's merely a symbol. It truly is God himself. So too we see it in the lives of the saints. That every single saint had a great love of the Eucharist. That there have been martyrs for it. Sort of like Paul, but many, many more along the centuries. Men and women who gave their life to protect, to love the Blessed Sacrament. They witnessed miracles. We've seen miracles in the life of the church. When what seems like bread and wine, but we know is truly the body, blood, and Jesus comes forth a little bit. Eucharistic miracles that have happened all across the, the world where um, at one point in uh, Lanciano, Italy, uh, the priest was consecrating the Eucharist and he was holding it up and he was doubting. He was really wondering, is this really God? Could this really be him? And that host started to bleed, started to bleed and drops of blood came down on the corporal. And you can go and see that corporal in Italy right now. Uh, that especially it's on display today. It's a big deal. That there are these Eucharistic miracles when God allows the reality to shine forth a little more powerfully. So too we see this belief attested to in the art and architecture of the church. That the greatest art and architecture, in fact, in Western civilization, you don't have to be Catholic to acknowledge this, is due to the Mass, is due to the Catholic Church. The churches, the basilicas of St. Peter in Rome, of Notre Dame, Chartres, Westminster, Hagia Sophia, all of these exist. These incredible masterpieces of art and architecture exist because of the Mass, because of what we believe as Catholics. So too in the art itself, the Pietà, all of Caravaggio's works, the Sistine Chapel, all of those were commissioned by the church. They exist to adorn, to beautify the Mass of what we believe is happening here so that our hearts and souls are elevated by the beauty to love what's going on here, to remind us what's going on here. That all of these things that the church has seen and done and lived are expressions of her love, her great love for Jesus in the Eucharist. But actually all of this is in response to Christ's love first. Because as we say at every Mass, the Lord Jesus took bread and wine and said, do this in memory of me. He was giving his apostles, the disciples, a command. He's saying, hey, go do this. Do this in memory of me. Essentially, celebrate the Mass. Celebrate the Eucharist. And so our love is really in response to his love first. That he loved us first and wants to give himself to us. And so we are faithful to that. We are obedient to that. We do that. We do celebrate the Mass and adorn our churches and do all these kinds of things. That our love is in response to him who first loved us. And that Paul Camtois' love for the Eucharist, was, which made him gave up his life 
was secondary to the burning love of Jesus Christ for him and for me and for every single person on this planet. That the love of God comes first. And isn't that maybe the real mystery and scandal? That God loves us so much more than we love him. That he gave us the Eucharist. He gave us this incredible gift knowing that it would be desecrated, hated, maligned, ignored, mocked, and maltreated millions of times over, beginning with the very first reception, unworthy reception of Holy Communion by Jesus, by Judas at the Last Supper. Judas knew, or Jesus knew that Judas would betray him in just a few moments, and yet he still gave him the Eucharist. That the Lord knew that this would happen, and yet he did it anyway. He did it because he's so desperate, so eager to love you, to give you himself. So we should ask ourselves, what kind of hearts does he find when he comes? When he comes to us, does he find hearts warm with love, ready to receive him? Or does he find so often, I include myself in this, distracted hearts, indifferent ones? Is Sunday Mass and a worthy reception of Holy Communion, the beautiful gift of the Eucharist, the highlight of our week, or is it something we sort of dread and we're really glad when it's over? So three practices I'd recommend to increase your love and your devotion of the Eucharist. If you're like, all right, Father, I want a more receptive heart. I want a more loving heart for this incredible gift. I want to know how much God loves me here. I recommend three things to help you with that. To increase your love of the Mass, increase your love of the Eucharist. The first is to pray. Seems kind of obvious, right? To pray. To number one, ask God for a greater love of the Eucharist. It's that simple. Say, Lord, give me a greater desire, a greater love for this sacrament. Amen. That's it. And pray that a lot. Another great thing to do is to pray when you come here, obviously. To pray before and after Mass. That y'all, we live in a very noisy world, if you haven't noticed. It's, we're constantly bombarded by, uh, by noises, by sounds, by the radio, our phones going off, even in church. It still happens, I know. And it's so hard to concentrate on what's going on here. Because we have a thousand things going on, and our world is so noisy. So when we come here, that's why it's so much more important to be recollected, to focus, to calm down, to settle down, and realize what's about to happen here. And so before Mass is a really important moment for that. So when we come to Mass, we need to have an attitude of silence in the church so that we can give our hearts to God, so that we can love Him. And silence really helps to prepare, right? When we're about to do something very important, right? We're silent. Okay, for you golfers, you don't want me talking in the tee box, right? Going to mess you up. Well, how much more important is the Mass? That we should come here and be, be silent, prepare our hearts for what Jesus is about to do for us. And so too, after Mass, instead of just immediately leaving and starting to chat with folks, to have a second to kneel back down, to sit back down and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for what you just gave me, for what you gave to me. Help that these graces continue throughout the week and that they don't just sort of evaporate today and I get back to my difficult, busy life tomorrow and I forget that you just gave me yourself. That an act of thanksgiving, a little prayer of thanksgiving after Mass is uh, centuries-old, uh, worthy spiritual practice, which I highly recommend. And then we go out and we can fellowship with another. And uh, once we've received the love of God from Him, then we can share that love with each other. But we have to receive it from Him first and focus on Him first. 
The second practice I'd recommend is to receive Holy Communion on your tongue. According to the instructions of the church, not a lot of folks know this, receiving communion on the tongue is in fact the norm, while receiving on the hand is a permitted exception. And the, perch, per, the church permits communion on the hand, and I don't want there to be any hatred or judgment of each other based on one side or another. But if you receive on the hand, I invite you to prayerfully consider the tradition of the church and receive on the tongue. Our ancestors in the faith received this way for many reasons. For probably more than 1,700 years, that's how communion was received, on the tongue. Because it's reverent. It gives a, a reverence towards these sacred things. It also provides a better assurance that every single part of the host is cared for. And we believe every single particle is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And so it's cared for and it's not profane. It's not left on the ground or anything. You might see after the consecration at Mass, that's why I hold my fingers like this. Maybe the whole time you've been like, what in the world is Father doing? Now I'm explaining to you. Here you go. That after I touch the host and consecrate the Eucharist, the particles that are on my finger, I don't want them going anywhere. And so I hold them together until I purify my fingers with water after communion. So every single particle is cared for. We love Jesus in every single particle. So we want to make sure he's well taken care of. And communion on the tongue really helps that. Final reason, it's a beautiful posture of receptivity. That this is a gift. It's not something we merit, we can earn, we can grab for ourselves. And so to receive it in such a, uh, an, a, a receptive way is a beautiful thing. It also recognizes the fact that I come to be fed by God. I allow him to feed me himself. And so I encourage you to prayerfully consider that. No pressure, but I encourage you to consider the tradition of the church. The final recommendation would be to pray and study the texts of the Mass. That the texts of the Mass are incredible. They're beautiful. They've been contemplated on, chewed on, decided upon over centuries in the life of the church. The prayers that I pray at the chair, at the altar, this beautiful sequence, this spiritual poetry that we just heard right before the gospel. These are incredible riches. And so we should try and break them open. We should study them. We should pray with them to see what the church is, is teaching us. They're beautiful sources of meditation and prayer for our spiritual lives. That the texts of the Mass are so rich, and you'll know and be able to enter into the Mass so much better if you know what we're praying. If you studied them a little bit, if you prayed with them, they'll kind of light up a little bit more every time you come to Mass, if you pray with these texts, I promise. So today we rejoice that God himself has given us himself in the Holy Eucharist. That the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ is given to us. And that this sacrament, the Eucharist, is the heart of our faith. Without it, we would be completely adrift. So give yourself completely to Jesus in the Eucharist. Pray to him for a greater desire, a greater love for this incredible sacrament. That your love for him here may grow every single day. And that it's always a response to him who loved us first.